after I had a really bad day at work in 2016 where management changed everything. I had uh, built a team and a new management came in and said, hey, you're, you're, not, you're not managing that team anymore. You're reporting under this guy and you're doing this job. And it was one of those moments where I'm like, I really don't have any control over my destiny here uh, at this company or within this industry because I don't, I don't really own it. I don't really do anything specifically where I'm the owner. So I said, oh, I got to do something else that at least brings me fulfillment outside of my day job and outside of being a parent. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Alrighty, this is Clark here with my co-host Jace. Welcome back. Another episode of the Millionaires Unveiled Podcast. This is 170. Jace, what's going on? Not a lot, man. How you doing? Good. Doing pretty well. We were talking a little bit about uh, self-directed Ross. I was reminded of episode, let's see here, I think it was 137, Mark... And he wrote a book called Dad's Little Book of Wisdom. And I have an extra one. I saw it and, and I was I went back and listened to that interview. And Mark's a cool guy. We've kind of been chatting. So I have an extra copy of his book. And I think we may have done a giveaway during his episode, but we're going to do another one. So if you're interested in that, this is the guy who was on episode 137 of our show. The book's called Dad's Little Book of Wisdom. Just send us an email and we'll just pick a, a random name out of a hat here in the next several days. I guess maybe before we launch the next one, Saturday or Sunday, we'll pick a name out of everybody who writes in and, and I'll send you, I'll just email, I'll just mail it off to you. So he mentioned self-directed Ross and I started thinking about self-directed Ross and realized that's something we haven't covered too much on the show, right? Mm-hmm, totally. Yeah, it's it's not been a topic that's been brought up uh, very often. Yeah. So how does this how does this work? I, th- I thought we kind of just tell people, and I'm a little bit familiar with it because there's I, I know of in on our real estate investment group, some people invest through them, and obviously we've had people on the show that have done it. So you can open up a self-directed Roth and you have to have an intermediary that does it. So somebody who's licensed to do it, you transfer money from your Roth to that account and then they basically handle that investment. So I thought the interesting thing would be for somebody who's maybe not too familiar with this and how much does it cost. And some of these can get pretty fee heavy, but I'm just looking online at the one that I'm familiar with. And I know personally people that use this company and, and they say, here's a couple of their fees. It says our most popular fee option, you'd pay $295 annually per asset owned in your account. So it's about 300, 300 bucks a year. If you were to self-direct $50,000 into a real estate investment or something else, whatever you want to self-direct in, it would be about $300 a year regardless of what happens to that investment. So you're going to keep paying that. And then you pay by asset. So if you invest in two things, if you have $100,000 and you invest one thing here, one thing there, you're going to invest an extra two ninety five. So then your fees would be five or $600 a year. Um, and this has been on the lower end of some of these that I've seen. There's also fees to set up the account, kind of some account maintenance if you need a wire, and then everything has to flow through them. So if you were to receive a distribution, it would all flow through this intermediary who would then send the money to you. So just kind of interesting, something that we haven't talked about in detail as much on the show. And really, it's starting to catch ground. I mean, you hear of some people that use this a lot and invest in private equity or smaller stuff, and then they can really grow their net worth and their Roth holdings tax-free. But just wanted to share that and thought it might be interesting for people that don't know. 
Jace, any thoughts on the self-directed Roth? Something you're looking into at all? Yeah, I mean, it's not just a self-directed Roth, it's a self-directed IRA. So some people could use, you know, it could be traditional or it could be Roth money, but obviously the ones with the Roth have, have made more headlines. A few years back, Mitt Romney, you know, it was revealed that he had over a hundred million, uh, you know, dollars in his Roth. And, you know, it is, it is an interesting stu- subject. Uh, you know, and then doing some research on this in 20, at the end of 2019, so tax filing year 2019 to 2020. So we haven't gotten 2020 tax filing year yet, but the IRS keeps data on this. There were 314 people that had IRAs over $25 million. And obviously those 314 people most likely self-directed some of this or, or made some very extremely large risky bets on some individual stocks, maybe Tesla in 2020 will create some of this in some people's Ross, maybe not. We'll see. But it's definitely, a, it's an interesting vehicle, right? To be able to self-direct some funds out of your retirement that are tax protected to accelerate that growth, right? In Mitt Romney's case, invested obviously in his private equity funds and stuff and was able to, to accelerate the growth of that account. And, you know, I, it's not something that I have done yet, but I definitely plan to do some in the future, whether that's invest investing in, you know, some of my own businesses or real estate or whatever, mainly just to to be able to utilize that, those funds, because I've been contributing to my Roth for, for quite a while, but also to have some gain that's tax protected. You know, I, I think I mentioned this before, I feel like I've got enough market exposure and and some of my Roth is still in the market, but I'll definitely plan on on utilizing some of it in the in the future to self-direct. Yeah, good point on the traditional. It can be Roth or traditional. So if you're looking for an intermediary, um, just shoot us an email. I can connect you to who we're familiar with. We don't get any kickback or anything, but just sometimes it's nice to have to know somebody who's used a company. So feel free to reach out on that. Fun interview coming up today. We have uh, with Andy, he's a cool guy, net worth of about one point one million. He quit his day job after working in it for 15 years and started a new career in digital marketing and is the host of the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast. So he's the host there, but also unveils his net worth, his story. So interesting to hear about what he's doing. He has a paid-for house worth about $420,000. he has got about $500,000 in retirement and $100,000 in cash. Last week, just for a quick recap, we had Kevin, net worth of $1.4. He works in cybersecurity. A uh, really interesting story with him. Unfortunately, his dad passed away when he was about 30 years old. His dad was just in his young 60s, 62. And so we really get into that process. His dad didn't have a will, but kept all his files. And so we, we took a really deep dive into Kevin. And this is the first type of conversation of this type that we've had on the show in figuring out your father's finances after he had passed away. His parents were divorced. And so there was a lot of figuring out and trying to track down accounts and taking death certificates to the bank and finding who owned this and where that was and taking care of his father's business. So really an interesting and and eye-opening experience. Yeah, but interview for us as well. And I'm appreciative to Kevin that he would come on and share that. Not an easy thing to do. So thanks again to him for sharing that. If you enjoy the show, if you get something out of it, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever platform you listen to. It helps us grow the show, reach new millionaire interviewees. We have some really fun interviews coming up. We just recently interviewed a guy who invested 200000 in Tesla that is now worth $2.5 million. So that'll be coming up soon. Um, some fun, fun interviews and, and totally different perspective of people. So if you're interested in being on the show, email us at millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. 
and we'll get you connected. Otherwise, please help me welcome Andy to the show. Andy, do you want to just give us a little about your background and what you're up to now? Yeah, sure. So I, in January, decided to take the leap from my traditional employment that I was in for the past 15 years and decided to go the solopreneur route to be a digital marketer and uh, have been in that for the past six months. So I host a podcast called Marriage, Kids and Money, and I also have a blog called marriagekidsmoney.com where I am learning to grow my revenue and create a small business out of it. So it's a lot of fun. That's awesome. And what is your net worth today? 1.1 million. And how is that divided? Uh, Great question. So it is divided through our paid off home, which is about $420,000. We have about $500,000 in retirement investments. And we have about 100K cash. And uh, the rest would be in taxable brokerage and some some cars that uh, are barely scratching the surface of $10,000. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So when did you pay off the house? Yeah. So in 2013, uh, my wife decided that our decided that my bachelor pad was was not the place that she wanted to to raise the children. <laughs> so so we uh, she started looking for houses and she found a house that she loved. And I was really nervous about getting it because I didn't really want a gigantic mortgage because I was in this job that I really didn't you know, have a lot of passion towards. Uh, so we made a deal like, okay, let's say, hey, we'll get, the, we'll get the house, but we got to pay it off in five years because I don't want to live with a gigantic mortgage all the time and have, have the need or the, or the uh, feel like I need to you know, always perform at my job in order to pay off a house that I'm really not that or pay a house that I'm not really that excited about. So she agreed. And that's what we did. We uh, we worked hard together, saved a lot of our money, saved close to 50% of our income, threw additional money at the principal every month, sold stuff around our house, got side hustles, and we were able to pay it off uh, just under four years in late 2017. Wow, that's pretty remarkable doing it that fast. Did you throw everything at that or did you stop investments at all? No, actually, um, we took advantage of my workplace 401k, uh, maxed that out and also took advantage uh, for uh, probably three years time to max out our Roth IRAs, both of us. So we didn't stop retirement investing. Uh, We took advantage of the match that happened at my office. It was about 15%. And also paid off the mortgage at the same time. So yeah, we didn't invest in like a taxable brokerage or anything like that. We we thought the freedom of not having a mortgage uh, gave us more options, and so that was what was exciting us at the time. And when I say us, it was it was really me. But uh, <laughs> but my wife was uh, she loves me, and uh, she indulges my craziness at times. <laughs> That's awesome. So let's dive into the investments a little bit. Are those invested primarily in index funds, mutual funds, bonds, individual stocks? Yeah, great question. So I got on the index fund train probably five plus years ago after, you know, listening to some great podcasts, uh, the financial rock star, uh, Scott Allen Turner, I was starting to listen to him. He got me a, got me interested in some of those and it just made sense. And then you started reading books about it. I'm like, well, why do I try to beat the market? I just want to try to be the market. So uh, yeah, started investing in index funds a while ago. The majority of actually, I would say all of it is index funds. It's broken down by uh, 60% U.S. large cap, 
I do 10% international equities, 10% bonds, 10% small cap, and then 10% REITs. So it's got some diversification within the diversification. And that's uh, a portfolio that I feel comfortable with right now. And has the portfolio always looked like that since you started investing? Um, it hasn't changed. Yeah, you know, I, originally we were planning on being real estate investors uh, because we were excited about building passive income. And then we started to save up our money to purchase our first rental property. As we started to look at real estate in our area and, you know, ones that we were interested in and really actually talking to other landlords that have done the work. Uh, we decided that that was not something that we wanted to do as a family because we are doing so many things uh, as young parents. We've got an eight-year-old and a six-year-old and she's got a job, I got a job and I'm trying to grow a small business. And, you know, it was one of those things we said, hey, let's let's not add that onto our plate because pros or cons for real estate investment, obviously you can make a lot about it, a lot of money, but I think everybody would admit that it's it's a little bit of work. It is a job in with itself to to grow. So what we decided to do instead of buying real estate is that we would just add REITs to our portfolio, both for uh, both for retirement as well as our taxable brokerage. So that way we are investing in real estate, but uh, not with a lot of the blood, sweat and tears that might go into rental property ownership. Yeah, totally. So as you've gone on this journey, you decided to kind of move into entrepreneurship or solopreneurship. What yep. led you to move that route? Yeah, great question. So for 15 years, I've worked in corporate event marketing for the first couple of years. Honestly, I just fell into it. It was one of those things where I had no idea what I wanted to do out of college and uh, saw my sibling and some friends go into the industry. And I said, oh, well, I'll try that. And in the beginning, you know, you barely scraped by. I was making $28,000 per year, something like that. And then, uh, but it was fun. You know, I was in my early 20s and you get to travel around a lot and plan events and things like that. And then over time, I started to grow my income, got married, had kids. And after a while of doing it, I had to do it. You know, I, I had to make the money that I was making in order to produce the lifestyle that we want for our family. But at that time, I had just fallen totally out of interest with it. I didn't like the travel. I didn't like the unpredictability. I didn't like the uh, difficulty that we would have with clients. And over time, I started to lose interest in the industry. And I thought about changing careers. I thought about changing to a different company, but it would have been a lot of the same. So I fell out of love with it. And I fell in love with some hobby that I picked up in 2016, uh, which was producing a podcast, which I know you guys uh, love. Uh, so you could appreciate that. After I had a really bad day at work in 2016, where management changed everything, I had uh, built a team and a new management came in and said, hey, you're, you're, not, you're not managing that team anymore. You're reporting under this guy and you're doing this job. And it was one of those moments where I'm like, I really don't have any control over my destiny here uh, at this company or within this industry because I don't, I don't really own it. I don't really do anything specifically where I'm the owner. So I said, oh, I got to do something else that at least brings me fulfillment outside of my day job and outside of being a parent. So I started the podcast in 2016 and just fell in love with it. I loved interviewing people. I loved talking to people. I loved learning from them. I loved helping other people when they'd write in and say, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, you've helped me to pay off my mortgage too. You've helped me to do this. And that fulfillment just filled me up in a way that my day job couldn't. Um, the, the main problem, though, was I was making 
$180,000 in my career and uh, I was making $30,000 with my side hustle. So, uh, <laughs> the, you know, obviously, yeah, I, I, if I could play video games all day, I, I would do that too. Uh, but, uh, you know, you have to figure that that way where it's like, okay, how can I do my passion, enjoy it, and also still take care of my family along the way? So the, the idea was, well, instead of doing the real estate investment, all the money we've saved up, why don't we use that as a runway for my small business uh, so I can give it a, a shot and make it make it work? Um, and we had saved up about $100,000 in cash at that point to buy our first rental property. And instead, my wife said, well, why don't you just use that money to, to go for it? Because you've been talking about it forever. And if it doesn't work, that's okay. You know, you can always go back and get a job. And so we did that. We took a, we took the leap in January and things have gone pretty well. I'm, I'm making more than $30,000, which is great. Uh, it's probably going to be closer to like $80,000 this year, which is great for our first year That's as amazing. A, you know, household income, yeah. which is fun. But compared to years past, uh, you know, as a household, we would make upwards of almost 200. So it's been a year of adjustment. Um, but man, I would not trade a moment for it uh, for the world. So I've really, really enjoyed it so far. Even with all the crazy pandemic <laughs> craziness that's gone on this year. Wow. And, and does your wife work full time too? Or she doesn't anymore? work full time. So for the past oh, five years, so five plus years, she did the stay at home mom route until this past fall, where at that time we were having some of those conversations. And she's like, hey, I've done the stay at home mom thing. I'm. I'm looking to go back at least in some sort of capacity. So she did part time for a while. And then after a while, she's like, I love this. I get to talk to adults. I get to check my email and I get a coffee and there's no kids bothering me. I'd like to figure <laughs> out how I could do this full time. So uh, right now we're bouncing in between her working, you know, between 20 and 40 hours at a, uh, a career that she likes. Uh, originally, she was also in the same industry as me, working with clients and dealing with projects. And she's gone back in an administrative assistant capacity. So uh, she helps out two executives with their travel and their expenses and things like that. And during the downturn, they weren't traveling very much. So hours have been in flux. But overall, yeah, she's got uh, somewhere that she really likes. And she's working probably 30 hours a week. And lately, it's been from home, which has been great. Yeah, nice. So how long did you think about quitting this job and, and doing your own thing? Was that just the last year or so? Or was it a, a long time in the making? I would say in, in 2016, when I started it, it was uh, my little side hustle thing. It was a hobby. I thought of it as, hey, this is fun. I get to play around at home and, you know, interview these people, share it with them. Hopefully somebody will listen. And then, you know, in 2017, 2018, people started reaching out to me saying, hey, can I sponsor your show? And I'm like, well, you can make money doing this. This is cool. And then I started working with brands and figuring out how I could do speaking engagements and coaching and things like that. And I said, well, this is fun. I have like eight different avenues where I can make micro money. Uh, how, do, how do I grow that to be macro money over time? And then by 2019, I had just been fully fed up with my, my career. <laughs> and my wife threw it out to me saying, hey, why don't you just go for it? Give it a shot. So it was just a progression over time. Started as a hobby, uh, moved to a side hustle that made a little bit of money, and then figured out how to make more money from it. And then and now this year, I'm trying to go for it full time. So yeah, let's see how it goes. You. Thank yeah, you. it's amazing. Did you did you worry you won't have enough, or was it just hey, if something happens, I can go back and and back to what I was doing, so no big deal. Yeah, you know, some of it was just um, 
a few things to, to financially prepare. So we had paid off the mortgage. That made me feel really comfortable. You know, like, hey, we don't have we don't even have a, a house payment. That helps. Obviously, we still have to pay taxes and insurance and the and life's life's expenses. So so that helped a little bit. We had been saving for our retirement for a while. So we've got close to half a million dollars in, you know, retirement funds. If we purely left that alone for 25 years, I feel like we'd be fine. Not that we're going to do that, but there's this concept of coast fire where you get to that point where you've saved up enough in your retirement, you just kind of let it coast and grow to that point where you're going to be stable and fine in your retirement years. If you want to have abundance, obviously you keep going and going. Uh, but uh, we felt comfortable at that point. And then we had also saved up around 100,000 bucks cash. So that was sort of the runway of like, hey, if this thing flops, you know, <laughs> you're you've, we've got we've got some cash here to make sure that our, you know, our kids are still eating everything like that. And obviously, this is, a you know, a situation where we've we've done a lot on our side to, you know, become young millionaires. And we've sort of given this ch- chance as like, hey, well, why not give it a shot in your 30s? And if it grows, that's awesome. If not, you know, you you, you have a lot of experience and you can go back and and uh, work for somebody else. And also the the last thing is that I had proven that I could make money with it. You know, it wasn't one of those things where I was like, hey, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna see if this works. So it's like, no, I tested it for four years, figured out how to make money for from it and felt confident enough to to give it a shot. So yeah, we're, we're six months in now. <laughs> yeah, good for you. Is that why you paid off the house? Because I wanted to come back to that when you were giving your allocation that the house is paid for. Did did you do it for security? Did you do it because you were quitting this job and you wanted that? Or or was it always just, hey, I want to pay off the mortgage quickly and not worry about it? Uh, the re- I guess the reason we paid off the mortgage is, is twofold. I had bought a home in 2004 in Metro Detroit because, you know, because it's what you're supposed to do, right? You're supposed to buy a house and it's the smart thing to do. And uh, I bought it uh, and quickly realized that I couldn't afford it. You know, I, I had a job where I was making 30,000 bucks, but the the mortgage person said, oh, you can afford it, right? So I got the house and quickly realized that between the mortgage, the taxes, the insurance, the repairs, the monthly bills, it was eating up at least like 60% of my income. And I, I felt strapped with the thing that I was supposed to do, right? The, the, the smart investment idea. So I quickly figured things out. I spent less money. I house hacked. I had a bunch of people move in with me to help me pay the mortgage. Uh, but all, all the time, I was always nervous about the mortgage, always nervous about paying for it uh, because I didn't make that much money. So that was one thing. It just sort of stuck in my mind. And then in 2009, 2010, we had a really bad housing crash here. And so the money that I owed for the mortgage was like $180,000. But the home value had dropped to like $110,000. So that was just a horrible feeling being like, well, no, I did the right thing. I I was supposed to buy a house and invest. And now my house is underwater and I, I don't even... You know, the value of it is is is, uh, is lower than um, than what I actually owe on it. So it was just a depressing sort of moment, and and I think that stuck in my mind when my wife was like, "Hey, let's get this next house." I'm like, "Well, <laughs> I want to do it completely different because I hated the way that I felt." 
uh, the last time around. So it sort of, st- it was like one of those traumatic moments. I'm like, I, how about just never having a mortgage? Uh, because that's, we got all this money coming in. We've got really good money. So if we can just, you know, live on half of our money, we should be able to pay off this mortgage in five years. And that's what we did. And it, it was one of those things where I was like, also was not that happy with my career. So that added to it being like, well, I don't want to always have to produce and make the money that I'm making at this company because I don't want to work there uh, long term. I would like to do something that I enjoy. So it's just sort of a double uh, a double reason there. Like I had been physically impacted by the the Great Recession and um, and just having a house that you know I really didn't need. And uh, also yeah, not being happy in a career that uh, that I was in. Right, right. And you don't have other real estate holdings, do you? No, not at this time. No, we 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 had considered it for a while for rental property investment, and just decided that decided that was not the route we wanted to go. I mean, it might change in the future, but for now, REITs are REITs are good for us. Yeah, yeah. So just jumping back to your story here, Andy, it's pretty amazing. So you had negative fifty thousand in in two thousand ten, right? Was was that student yes. loans? Yeah, so the negative portion of that was, um, you know, part of what I was discussing there was the um, the home value had uh, gone down so much that I had owed a, a lot more than the home was valued. But in 2010, I've got uh, I got I got the numbers here. In 2010, we had liabilities. Our mortgage was about 180 thousand dollars, and then the student loans that I had from grad school was about 30 thousand, and then my wife's car loan was about 20 thousand. And then our our assets just didn't add up to that much. So uh, we had 176 of assets and 226 of liabilities. So a negative $50,000 net worth. Okay, so negative 50 in in 2010. In 2012, I'm just reading from your blog here, marriagekidsandmoney.com. 2012, you had 45,000. Yep. I mean, that's a lot, right? 100,000 swing in two years. Yeah, big jump. You know, a lot of it was just us taking that focused attention. We had gotten married and we were both making our individual salaries, but combined, we were now making a little over six figures. So we're like, okay, well, if we want to clean up this debt, because we want to try to be debt free before we have our daughter, what could we do? So we started living on a lot less, you know, and we said, hey, let's tackle the debt first. So we paid off the student loans and the car loan in about 12 months. And that helped us to, uh, to move things forward. And also, things started to pick up a little bit better in the the housing market, which helped our, our, our home value. Nice. There you go. So negative 50, 2010, 50,045 ish, right? 2012, 2014, 350. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. That, that was a good 75 job. a year there, 2013 <laughs> and 2014. Yeah, absolutely. So for, for me at that time, I had gotten a, a new job and I had the opportunity to severely grow my, my income. And with that, there was commission opportunities. And if I worked really hard and I was financially motivated, I had uh, I had one kid and then another one on the way so by by early 2014. So financially motivated to grow my income. And now with the I guess with the determination and the smarts to use it correctly uh, for us, I think there were times I think we made a little over 200 I think that was 20, 2012 or 2013. And we used at uh, more than half of that for our financial goals to save up for the new house, to contribute to our retirement and continue to move things forward. And that's what we did. So at that point in 2014, we had owned the new house with a about $160,000 mortgage. The home value was about 350. And then we were just starting to 
save up a bunch in our, our retirement and uh, cash. Gotcha. Awesome. And then 2018, you're at six. 75. And then when you retired, were you a millionaire? Wow. I would love That's a nice word. Retire. I would, I don't think I'm ever going to retire. I would say I, I, I like that term and it makes sense, but I don't think I'm ever going to retire. I like, um, I really like working and I, I consider just sort of like small business ownership or solopreneur. But yeah, at that time in earlier portion of the year, we were just shy of a million, I think 917 uh, I've got the numbers here in front of me, yeah, 917. And a lot of that was uh, home value, retirement. And then shortly after I left the company, this was a, a nice perk of working there. Uh, so it, was, it wasn't all bad. <laughs> they had an ESOP program, which is employee stock ownership. And they essentially would, would give us 15% of our salary for free in company stock. And during this time, it had grown substantially while I was there. And so upon leaving, that money uh, becomes mine uh, as a as an employee owner. And that helped to put us over that one million mark one when I left. Yeah. Wow. Congrats. So it, it's a pretty amazing story, Andy, right? I mean, you, you didn't have some huge break, right? You didn't have some investment right. that took off. You had student loans. You had a negative $50,000 net worth. You really did it investing through the market and, and having a high savings rate, right, right? And then obviously you guys grinded to, to grow your income. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, it was just we just kept it simple. Uh, that that's the things that helped us a lot. I didn't, uh, you know, uh, grow any businesses or invest in any um, random stocks or anything like that. I really like simplicity when it comes to investing and keeping it simple. Taking advantage of the tax advantage accounts. So we did not only the Roth IRA, four hundred one k, but we've also taken advantage of an HSA through our high deductible healthcare plan that we've had. And yeah, just keep it simple, index funds, invest for the long term and just let it grow, grow, grow. I mean, even yeah. between even between the last time I did a net worth check to uh, today during our phone call, I mean, it went up just $30,000. Uh, that's just from the stock market change that happened from June to August. So it, it just it just starts to grow and grow. Yeah, it starts to snowball a little bit, yeah. right? Once you get it. Yeah. And just for our listeners recording this beginning of August 2020. So in that whole journey, is there something that you look at and say, gosh, I'm really glad I did that? Or vice versa, do you say, man, I wish I would have either started early or earlier or done something differently? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I wish I would have started investing a lot earlier. At the time when I was 22, I thought being a smart investor was buying a home. And there's nothing wrong with buying a home, but I think that my mindset of where my money should go was ill-placed. I think that investing in the market, and if I knew about index funds and keeping it simple in 2004, man, I would have done that right away. But I didn't really start investing seriously until my late 20s, I would say. And even even more, you know, with regard to like maxing things out, probably until my early 30s. And I'm 38 now. So... I can only imagine where our net worth would be if I would have started in my early 20s or even my late teens, like these conversations I'm starting to have with my nephews. They're getting summer jobs uh, at 18 or 17. And I'm saying, hey, let me help you open a Roth IRA. I'll buy your first, you know, VTI, uh, you know, ETF uh, stock. Uh, ATF, and then uh, you guys have some money in there, but then start throwing it in there. I start to show them the long-term 
compound growth charts. And some of them are, get excited about it. Some of them would rather just their uncle be quiet and, and you know, go back in the corner, crazy <laughs> uncle. Uh, but other ones, you know, they're like, oh, I'm into this. I love the numbers. I started to watch some videos. And so, yeah, I mean, starting earlier with my investment track uh, would have been would have been smart. Um, and then as far as like growing net worth and it making making sense where your money goes, I would pay my mortgage off again. Uh, I know that from 2013 to 2017, during that time frame, if I would have put my money into the stock market instead of paying my my 3% mortgage off, uh, I would have made a lot more money. But I love being mortgage-free. It just gives me the sense of, I don't know, relaxation that I could not have with, I, I, I guess, with a mortgage. So I love the, the the choice that we made there, even though I believe we would have made a lot more money in the stock market. Yeah, the home, I mean, you bring up a good point, right? The home is really interesting. I have a friend who's now saving to, to buy their first home and, and he's like, man, it just kills you in a sense because you have to save up all this money. Obviously, you could do an FHA, right? And put down a little bit less, but, and it's the same with your mortgage, right? I think it's hard sometimes to balance. Is, is that the best use of cash? And some people say, Hey, I like having a paid off mortgage, right? Yeah, I don't want to have, yeah. I don't want to have it. And other people say, geez, you know, that's $200,000 I could go invest. Absolutely. And I, I like both arguments, honestly. I love when people are like, hey, I would rather, um, you know, get a really low mortgage and even the rates right now are crazy and then invest the rest. I'm like, that's great. And then I love the people who are like, I can't stand having a mortgage. I want to get rid of it as soon as possible. And I think both answers are awesome. Uh, and, and, and it's all personal and just making decisions that are personal for you and deciding what works best for your family is, is, the, is the way to go in my opinion. Yeah. So where do you go from here? Is there a net worth goal, a passive income goal, a retirement goal, any, anything like that? Yeah. You know, I'm excited about uh, figuring out how to do well with this small business and just live our lifestyle. Um, you know, we've gotten to the point where we don't have aggressive savings goals. Like we're not paying off a mortgage anymore. We're not paying off our student loans or our or our car loan. And uh, I'm not aggressively saving for retirement. Hey, if, if the business explodes and I've got extra money, then yeah, I will, um, I'll continue to throw more money towards retirement. But right now, we've gotten to the point where we're happy living or living around, you know, $60,000 a year in expenses that helps us to do fun things like go on vacations, and, uh, you know, pay, pay for kids activities and as long as we can both work part time, uh, if Nicole continues to like her gig, you know, 30 hours a week and I can work 30 plus hours a week too on mine and we're able to make a little bit of money to help us live that, you know, 60K expenses uh, life, then I think I think that's great. Um, so for my for me, my goals are to be able to do that right now. I'll be able to uh, learn how to be a great entrepreneur and grow what I have. Uh, so that's my short-term goals. Long-term, I don't think I really have any more net worth goals. I think after a million, it's sort of like, it's all gravy, I guess. Um, and there's lots of big goals that you can have in the future. But for me, I think the the million-dollar net worth goal was really cool. And it was like, all right, we did that. Uh, but right. afterward, afterward, I'm like, that's just a number. But as you look into the assets column and you decide what you know what's your net worth made up of, that's when I start to get filled up with joy again, being like, all right, I got to pay it off home. I've got enough retirement where I feel comfortable that I can let it 
grow and coast for a while. We've got two paid off cars. We've got money in brokerage accounts that are growing that, yes, that would be awesome to have some passive income pay for some of that $60,000 of expenses per year. And that is um, that I guess that is one goal. I'm trying to grow that brokerage account to to a level where it could pay for my home insurance or my property taxes without me doing anything. I think that would be really neat. So try yeah. to work on that. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing, right? The payoff home, it just gives you, it's given you just to have exactly. that sense of security in a, sen- in, in a sense. So talking about security and then switching over to maybe confidence and happiness has becoming a millionaire and and doing it so quickly. I mean, you went from negative 50 in 2010 to now 1.1 1. 1, or 2020. So in about 10 years, has it brought you more confidence or happiness in this journey or maybe more just a sense of security? Yeah, I like the idea of uh, of the security side of things. I, I guess it's less of confidence, but yeah, I feel really secure and I feel like I have more options because of being able to grow our net worth to where we are. And being able to uh, share that with with you and share that with your listeners also ho- hopefully fills me up too because other people are learning how to do it and uh, growing what they have and creating some security for themselves. So I'm happy to share it and it helps and it brings me uh, joy to hopefully help others on their journey. Yeah. Do your family or friends know you're wealthy or is it pretty secret all around? I guess you have the, you have <laughs> well, the blog. So yeah, that, secret, that is right? the thing. Like it's been a, <laughs> it's been a weird deal. I, I'm very open with my finances and I'm all about the mission of sharing more when it comes to our, our, our journeys, because I think there's this weird taboo around sharing your money. And I think that help, I think that has hindered people from growing their wealth or learning how to grow their wealth. So I'm on the train of sharing more probably than my wife likes because <laughs> um, like we, I, I put together a blog post about <laughs> how we had gotten to that point of, you know, getting the millionaire status in 10 years. And so she gets a text from one of her friends that, you know, read the blog and said, hey, looks like you're picking up dinner tonight, Nicole. <laughs> and she got all yeah. nervous and is like, OK, I don't she, she doesn't like it right, as much right, as, right. Uh, as, I, as I do. But I think it's helpful when people read the details. And I, I think at the end of the day, uh, even if one of her friends or any of our any of our, our family reads it, if it helps them too, that's great. You know, uh, I, I think it's it's just one of those weird taboo topics, but I, I don't mind sharing it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's jump into some rapid fire questions here. What's the most expensive car that you've ever purchased? Uh, the most expensive car I purchased was an Audi 2010 Audi A4, and I bought it for $30,000 cash. Okay, what about the most expensive meal out that you've personally paid for? Oh wow. Um let's Give see. Or take. Yeah, I would say probably I'd say there's probably been moments of of buying a $500 meal. Uh and that's usually when I've got family there and uh, you know, we get to that point where we've done one of these really fun moments where we pay off our home or right. at work and and it would be one of those moments where I'd feel like I want to treat uh treat the family. So Yeah, 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 nice. Okay, what items or experiences are worth spending more money on to you and and what's not worth the money? Mm, great question. I really like spending money on vacations, kids activities, and just generally experiences that we'll remember for a long time that we can take a picture of and say, hey, remember that time. Uh, for me, I don't really like spending that much money on clothes. I don't really spend too much money on, I guess, toys and things like that, you know, the, the, you know, the adult toys. And even the car that I mentioned, uh, I bought that as a, a way for me to have a car for a really long time. I've had it for almost 10 years now. Uh, so I'm not much into cars and things like that. But I really love vacations, experiences, and helping my kids uh, do activities that they'll remember for a really long time. 
Yeah, yeah, that's neat. How old were you when you became a millionaire? Is that 38, 37? Yeah, 38. Yeah. Okay. Goals we talked about. Have you ever used a financial advisor? Yes. I used a financial advisor at the beginning of our journey in 2012, 2011, 2012. When we started to have more money that I was like, I don't know what I'm, I, I should do with this. So I got connected through the Dave Ramsey group at the time through their, uh, I'm not sure what it was called. There was, there's a program where they sort of certify these people or, or, or they go through this network uh, of, of advisors. And in the beginning, really liked working with the guy, seemed very knowledgeable. And then over time, the individual made choices that were more advantageous to him than they were to us. So I guess I'll just leave it at that. And uh, we broke off our relationship. So going forward at that point, that was one of those moments for me where I was like, I want to learn a lot more about my money because, you know, blindly uh, handing over the keys uh, to all this wealth that we have built for somebody else to figure out how they can make the most commission was was disheartening. So I wanted to grow my knowledge. And that was one of those moments where I did. I grew my knowledge a lot to know that I think I can do a decent job at handling it myself. But will I will I do it forever? I, I don't I don't think so. I think I'll get to a point where I'm going to need some help. Uh, but for now, I think that I've pushed myself to learn enough to uh, help myself with my own retirement and my own investments. Okay. Uh, good answer. Uh, favorite tech tool or websites? Any books that have stood out to you? I love Mint. Uh, Nicole and I have been using Mint for about 10 years. Um, it is a very simple, free tool that helps us track our budget, our net worth, and helped us to stay on track. There's a ton of other fintech tools out there, but Mint has been one of ours that we've really liked. And I guess my favorite book, um, it's not, not necessarily traditional money, uh, but it's called um, The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson. And it just talks about making small incremental improvements over time to help you improve in all areas of your life, your health, your wealth, uh, your happiness, your family life. And I just really like that concept of not needing to hard charge and, you know, solve it all in a week. It's like, what small thing can I do today that helps me get to that goal that I want in the future? And that's a book that I, I really enjoy. Yeah, it's a really good book. I actually just finished it yesterday. We had oh we no had, way. <laughs> yeah, when I first heard of it, we had a we had a, one other person recommended on the show, one other millionaire. So you're only the second, but it's basically Atomic Habits before Atomic Habits was cool. Is right, what I'm and Atomic right? Habits is a great book. Yes, yeah. it, was, it was pre uh, pre Atomic Habits, but same sort of thing. You know, figuring out. I think Atomic Habits was was maybe a little bit better at the specifics around how to chart it out and make it work. Where uh, uh, Jeff Olson's book was more conceptual. Yeah, slide edge is more. Look, there's only five or ten percent of people that do it consistently, yes. right? No matter what it is, and and so just do it, and, and yeah. you'll you'll get there. <laughs> exactly. You'll be successful. Exactly. Yeah. So, as much as you're comfortable sharing, Andy, what's been your range of of household income through your working life? Obviously, now it's come down a little bit. You mentioned earlier with doing the side stuff, but as much as you're comfortable sharing, what's been your range of household income? Yeah, I would say during this wealth building period of the 10 years, our average household income was around $190,000. So we made good money and we just we just put it to work. And then for this year, I'm hoping we can, between the two of us, make about $80,000, $90,000. And I think based on our current lifestyle and the reduction in liabilities or uh, zero liabilities that we have, I think that's I think that's going to help us to live a comfortable life. Was was that hard, Andy? Absolutely. Like, like on one hand, you say <laughs> I'm giving up a hundred grand, right? Or, yeah. or did did you think? 
gosh, why don't I just do this for, even though it sucks, right? Let me just do this for another two years and, and save up another whatever, right? A couple hundred yeah. thousand, 250. I mean, I don't know. And then quit. I mean, it's a hard decision when you're talking that big, that much money, right? It was a hard decision, especially with all the great benefits I had at work. You know, I had the ESOP, I had the 401k, I got the great salary. I had, uh, um, you know, employers that enjoyed working with me. They appreciated my work. So yeah, it was very difficult, but I think it was just, it was time. It was, it was time for us to give it a shot. And uh, oddly enough, uh, you know, with, with COVID this year, the corporate event marketing world has has sort of gone to a halt. Um, nobody's doing trade shows. Nobody's doing big conferences. And that's where all of our money was. So I, I, I hope to, I really hope that the that the industry changes and things um, things turn out okay. I, I hope everybody does well. Uh, but it, it seemed like an appropriate year for me to take a break from it. So timing was interesting. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, it's one of those things where I, I, I'm sure there's days where I'm like, man, did I do the right thing? Is this going to work out? But it's sort of an adventure. You know, I want to figure it out. It's like a puzzle. And I, I, for 15 years, I, I worked the traditional employment route. And uh, now this is my turn to try something new. And yeah, worst case scenario, I go back and I find a, a gig. And it might not be in corporate event marketing. It'll probably be in a different industry. Uh, I wouldn't mind being an employee again to uh, to somebody else in a different time, but for now, I'm gonna I'm gonna give this a shot. I think that's awesome. So we have a lot of listeners that write in about those that have taken the leap, such as yourself. The biggest question we always get is, what do they do about insurance? So yeah, what what, what have you done? Are you on Cobra for the for the time being? What's your plan going forward? Yeah, so right near the time that I was walking away, I looked on healthcare.gov to see what a plan would be for us. So uh, through the Affordable Care Act, I was able to find the equivalent of our good insurance that we had at my job, and we pay around 1200 bucks a month for that, and then dental is about another 100 bucks. So we just pay for it out of pocket. Uh, it is a lot of money. I mean, if you think about the salary plus the benefits if you have maybe with a traditional employment, you're getting a lot with that health care. And it, at my company, they paid all of it. Uh, they paid all of it. There wasn't even a, a contribution that I needed to make for our high, high deductible health care plan. So again, huge benefits that I had at my last company. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we just pay for it out of pocket and uh, it just goes on my account in my small business. Uh, it becomes a small business expense. I have a S Corp. Um, so I'm the only employee of my S Corp. Uh, but uh, it's a it's a benefit as uh, in my in my small company now. So awesome. So you mentioned that spending money on experiences with your kids and your family is is worth the money to you. Is there one that sticks out that you've done or a vacation maybe that you could share with our listeners? Yeah, I would say the the year of 2018 was was the vacation year for us. We paid off the mortgage at the end of 2017 and I was still on this hard charging track to save as much as possible and hit the next goal and Nicole's like, "Dude, okay, we paid off the mortgage. Let's do some fun now." I'm like, "Okay, okay, okay." So we went to Cabo as a family in May of that year. It was an all-inclusive vacation, all four of us. We went for a week. It was gorgeous. The couple of months after that, we went to Disney uh, Disney World for the first time. And then that same, I think the, the a month after that, my wife and I did a solo trip together to California. And uh, we rented one of these uh, luxury cars and drove down the coast. And just had we just had a great time. So it was sort of a, this collective year of Yes, we've done some great things financially. Now let's celebrate. And it was one of those very memorable years. We've got a lot of great pictures to uh, to remember it by. 
That's awesome. What kind of luxury car? It was one of those things where I had, you know, of course, frugal guy goes and I'm like, oh, let's get the whatever the cheapest car. <laughs> and uh, we get there and the guy, which and I, I have to give it to this rental car guy. He goes, well, you know, you could upgrade to this. Um, I think it was a Mercedes convertible. And I don't know specifically which Mercedes. And it's only whatever, you know, 100 bucks more per day or 50 bucks more per day. And it was one of those moments where like, oh, yeah. I mean, we were in California and the weather was beautiful. And we just went for it. And it was great. And it was probably it was it was one of the best investments we made because we had a long drive. There was a couple hour drive to where we were going for a friend's wedding. And it would just made the trip so much more fun. And if I lived in Southern California, I think I would have to get a convertible. But I live in Michigan, so there's not uh, not much convertible driving around here. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So, Andy, is there one or two things maybe that you could pinpoint to, to your success in becoming a millionaire? I would say keeping it simple. I'm not trying to figure out the next hot stock. I would say taking advantage of proven, simple investment strategies like index funds, following your passion, following things that bring you joy, following your own path as opposed to other people's uh, and deciding what works well for you. I mean, that the, the whole paying off the mortgage thing is not for everybody. But man, it feels great to not have a house and $400,000 of our 1.1 is a paid for house. And for us, that works really well. I never have to worry about that payment again. So I'm very happy with our investment strategy as well as choosing to pay off the house. Awesome. Just to wrap up, for our listeners, what would you give as a final piece of advice or maybe even a mistake that maybe you made that you would caution others against? I would say invest as early as you can. So if you're listening to this today, start investing. If you're not, because the earlier you start, the more money you'll have in the future. It is the beauty of compound interest. It is mathematical and it is magical. Awesome. That's Andy with a net worth of $1.1 million. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.